0: Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO Matters that are top of mind for today's Chief Data Officers. Hi. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time it is, wherever you are. I'm Malcolm Hawker, host of the CDO Matters podcast, and I am joined today by Wendy Turner-Williams. This is actually our second attempt at doing this. Um, we, we tried to record a podcast a week ago, and I live here in Central Florida, and we had one of these just amazing summertime afternoon Florida thunderstorms where it was blowing and it wasn't a hurricane, although, uh, you know, there was no hurricanes at that time. It wasn't even a hurricane. It was just a really, really strong storm. Took out power, took out internet, took out everything. Uh, And so our our conversation was cut sadly short. So this is our take two. So I am doubly indebted to you, (laughs) Wendy, for taking the time to do this. I just got
1: extra Malcolm time. I'm happy with it. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay.
0: (laughs) Flattery will get you anywhere. Keep going. Um, I, Wendy, I'll let you introduce yourself. We, we, we've, been, we've been kind of swimming in the same pool for a long time now, although we've never really kind of, I don't think we've ever met one-on-one, but I'm pretty sure we've probably been at the same conferences. We know yeah. a lot of the same people. We yeah. live in the data world, so it's a pretty small community. But, but Wendy, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it back to you. In, in, yeah, in a nutshell, yeah. describe your, your, your experiences and, and what brought you to where you are.
1: Uh, of course, well, well, thank you. I, you know, I, I appreciate the ability to, to be on the show a second time, awesome. know, and, and to to meet with you. And um, for those that don't know me, you know, uh, my background is basically you know twenty plus years in clouds and services. Uh, you know, I've been at companies like some of the original big te- uh, telecom companies that are now Lumen or uh, uh, you know uh, Sprint, etc. Their their predecessors. And then the last 16 years or so, I've been very, very focused on kind of the the the, the uh, big data world and the crux of data plus software plus infrastructure and journey to the clouds for others. So that's my deep expertise. As a part of that, I have done things like lead enterprise data strategy, architecture, um, and governance at Microsoft. Um, I did the same thing at Salesforce, including a lot of their data platform strategies. And then finally, uh, my, my last official role, which we'll get into here in a, a little bit as to why it's the official role, um, was actually as the first chief data and AI officer for Tableau. So been at many of the big companies you are using on a day-to-day basis to run your business or to perform your you know, data and to drive value um, all up.
0: So were you at Tableau at the time of the acquisition for, by Salesforce?
1: Yeah, no. So I was okay. at Salesforce at the time of the oh, acquisition. Oh, and then you were um, Okay,
0: okay. After you yeah, yeah. finished so, Okay.
1: Exactly, exactly. So basically, I was running enterprise um, data strategy and platforms and governance and uh, you know strategy for for Salesforce. And then when the Tableau acquisition landed, I was approached by Mark Nelson to say, hey, we, we've never had a C- and we need help integrating right as an MA into Salesforce. Um, our customers want to hear from a customer zero. They want to hear from the thems of the world. I am them of the world. And would you come over? And I said, absolutely. Um, so, I, so I hopped over and uh, rest is history.
0: So I've got a long history with Salesforce. I managed a 1200 seat implementation of Salesforce once. I think I've had. Four, maybe three executive briefings at, at the kind of the old headquarters um, yep. at the end of Market Street be- before yep. the giant thing was built. Right, right, right. Down. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I took what I took away from my experiences at Salesforce is it, it, it was an incredibly well-run company yeah. with a yeah. with, with a great culture. What what were some of your key highlights from working with that company?
1: You know, I think that the biggest thing that I walked away from Salesforce was um, the transparency they had in their B2 mom process. And I'm sure you as engaging with Salesforce, you probably heard a lot about this. You know, especially if you think about us in the data field, we are always trying to understand business strategy, right? What's the business strategy? What's the business strategy so I can be proactive to provide either the data sets, the pipelines or the infrastructure to support the business strategy? Well, what was beautiful about the Salesforce culture was the fact that they have this B2MOM um, process, which basically is a top t- to bottom down publication of, biz- of all the business strategies across the entire company. So what, what is Salesforce at the top level, Mark's level? What is he focused on? What are the goals? What are the objectives? And even what's the, what's the measures okay, that they're trying to hit? then goes to his directs, which then goes to their directs, which then go. So you get this kind of roll up of what every single person is working on in the company. You get a lineup of people to that impact area. You know you're bringing value. And more importantly, for someone like us in the data field, this became a really easy way for me to start to quantify Where we're actually providing data value, whether it was to grow the market or it was around trust or it was around, you know, new customer journey experiences or whatever it was. I could then kind of align really easily into those business strategies
0: because either it supported it or it didn't. And if it didn't directly support it, you've 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 got a defensible position to say, hey, listen, sorry, this really doesn't kind of fit into the overall right.
1: That's right. I mean, there's always going to be like, um, think of it this way: there's always like engineering for engineering, right? Yeah. Where we need to scale. But but you could easily start to to identify exactly where those pockets were and why they were needed in order to support something like, hey, search needs to do, you know, a real time, uh, you know, search capability, which means I need to change certain types of pipes or infrastructure in order to support that. Where I need X, Y, Z insight, uh, you know, uh, acquisitions of data in order to get them what they need. So it became a way to basically align end to end and yeah, to remove yeah. fat where you shouldn't be focused.
0: Love it. It's it's interesting. I've got, I've got so many just like fun Salesforce stories, but. <laughs> one of them to me is that is that you know like we all have these kind of these yardsticks that we use to measure time through our lives yeah. right like for yeah. me maybe it's it's music or for some people it's music or 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 it's or it's this or where were you where were you when X happened or right. when Y happened for me one of them is Dreamforce yeah and 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 what band was playing at Dreamforce yeah, yeah. <laughs> right was that was that Metallica or was that Bruno Mars <laughs> right like I'm exactly- just, like yeah. I've been yeah. watching
1: this because remember Dreamforce is happening this week, so my week it's been this week. It's so my LinkedIn because I, again I've been at the company and I have so many contacts. Like it's full of you know concert pictures <laughs> and everything else. Right. I think a lot of people measure it that way. They, they put yeah. on great. Events. Right. I mean, oh, I think no the doubt. biggest thing about uh, about Salesforce that I learned outside, I mean, I really took away that B2Mom process as a way to help me be more effective and how to guide almost like cultures and companies to align infrastructure and data strategies um, in a, in, a, in a business strategies in a better way. Right. Even if they didn't understand that's what they were actually doing, they were mm-hmm. about transparency down to the bottom. But for us, it actually was a, 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 a big eye opener for me compared to other companies as to how to approach. Right. But the other thing about this is that uh, 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 one of the other biggest takeaways I, I learned at, my, at, at Salesforce was they, they were a they started as a marketing company.
0: Yep. They're still so. they're
1: they're a marketing company, right? Um, versus necessarily like a Microsoft or a Google or you know an AWS who really focuses more firstly on the, the technology they're an engineering company, you know what I mean? So for me, that was also a lesson that not all big tech companies or all big cloud companies are the same as far as how they actually, uh, uh, you know, interoperate or how they focus their engagement with their customers. Salesforce is a very showy, party-throwing company.
0: (laughs) but But it worked. Right. Like I, I, would, I uh-huh. would argue the explosion of SaaS is in many ways not, in, obviously you can't attribute it just to Salesforce, but a huge part was Salesforce. Oh. Because in, at that time, like I, I implemented Salesforce at, at America Online in 1997. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, like yeah. America AOL was one of the early customers of Salesforce before it became a thing. And the, engine, the, the, the technology was seen as far inferior. Right. It was yeah. seen as inferior and it was seen as risky because at the time right. it was like, oh, my God, I'm not putting my data in the cloud.
1: Right. 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 But,
0: but it was but it was the marketing. Right. Which it's was
1: marketing. that's what we sell
0: to you like chief marketing officer. You don't even shh, don't don't tell I.T. Right. We well, yeah, yeah, put yeah. it on your credit, literally <laughs> put it on your credit card and monthly bill yeah. and expense back the cost for this thing you know, chief revenue officer that your salespeople might actually like to use. And th- and yeah. that's how it was the ultimate land and expand. That's how it it's, took off.
1: Back to that marketing thing. What they did is they didn't angle to the engineers or the techies of the world. Right. What they did is they marketed and they simplified into into layman's term or I mean, think like generative AI today. Right. And, and why generative AI is as has 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 been so like, oh, my God is because you don't have to be a machine learning or a data scientist or a hardcore right. engineer yeah. in order to, to use it. it. It can speak to someone who doesn't necessarily know the ins and outs or is an expert in the field, right? And it's speaking to you in a way in your language that it, it can bring you some value for you to then move forward and so they became almost like the generative AI of marketing around SaaS early on in regards to how they approached the selling and who they approached to sell it. right you know going yep. to the business teams over the engineering teams
0: well it's exactly right getting back to like even their like their logo with the you know like you know the, the line through it, like set, like yeah. you know, forget about the yeah. technology. Love it. But Hey, the AI bit is a great dovetail into the things you're working on now. So yes, yes. Uh, fond, mem- fond memories of Salesforce and being the <laughs> CEO of, uh, of Tableau.
1: I, 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 I talked to people still all the time I you know I said dream dream force this year has been like I know that person and oh I haven't talked to them I need to remember and I'm not there you know
0: <laughs> so- well it's to the point now where like it just got so big and just kind of completely yeah. taking over downtown yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know like it just it just got so huge but anyway yeah. big pro- good good problem to have so anyway AI and the dovetail and the yes. things you're working on now so let's talk about this association and- that you're founding
1: yeah So I am so excited about this, and I I, thank you, thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity to talk about this, because I think your audience especially is totally going to get, and should be totally excited (laughs) as I am. I, I, as someone who has been focused in infrastructure and software and clouds and been building AI services and machine learning for forever, um, We're at this crux right now that generative AI has really hit the market. And now that, again, the non-us of the world understand the power and can use it. And so what we're doing with the association is we're doing something really, really different. And I think there's just an incredible need for this. We're trying to create a a more focus on bridging the disciplines of AI, ethics, data, um, privacy. Um, robotics, and security, and we're trying to create basically like a a powerful global big business organization of the practitioners in these fields, not just the executives, okay, but anyone working in these fields, regardless of level, or even students coming out of colleges and focusing on STEM who are going to be working in these fields to basically create practitioner voice. And let me explain what I mean by that. Number one, we're the ones who hold the key to ethical and quality AI. Because if you think about those disciplines, it's the people working in the ground, on the ground and managing these disciplines and doing the jobs of these disciplines who are putting in the data models and building the pipelines and managing the stores and or lakes, right? <laughs> or managing um, the, the trust in the controls, the, the governance. We're also the ones that are basically responsible for the data lifecycle and operations. So, just like with GDPR or CCPA, you cannot have ethical AI without those disciplines working together. And I think what if there's lessons to be learned, and, and I, I'm going to share my personal lessons. Right, I was at Microsoft when GDPR was first initiated. We had a whole working group and V team of legal attorneys, product managers, executives, the data management folks, etc., who were working together on approaches because we realized something like you know a, a privacy policy that is flashed on your page, et cetera. It's just that. It's a piece of paper, right? Right. Until you can implement that into each one of your products and then into how the data associated to those products is actually stored and managed. And then, especially in the tech companies, then how the data from our products moves into our internal systems and and stores to, to manage our business. You can't truly do something like Right to be forgotten. Okay. It's not just a product hop. It's also your internal EDW or your Snowflake system or your, you know, or, or whatever those things are. It's an end-to-end process and it requires all those fields working together. But what happened with GDPR at a lot of companies was this is the rise of the chief privacy officer role, right? They get so focused on just the privacy, privacy, or they get so focused on the the lobbying aspect of the role around privacy up to the up to the 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 regulatory firms that and they don't understand how they need to actually implement like tactically implement they also don't understand how to translate that policy into those tactical requirements for engineers or data leaders etc or software engineers or data engineers either way um to implement and there becomes a gap right? There becomes a gap. So we can't do that with AI, okay? AI, when when we don't have humans anymore that are controlling the, 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 the output, or that are reviewing and controlling and kind of auditing the output of what's coming from these stores, this is where you get things like Samsung re- re- uh, releasing their trust secrets, right? Or this is where you get, hey, people are going to want to have options around if they want things like an AI diagnostic for a medical, you know, for, for a medical purpose, do they, they have an option there? Can I say I want my doctor or can I say that AI can do it, right? People are going to get to a point like privacy where it's not just right to be forgotten, right? <laughs> where they want to know who is using their data and if it's human or machine, and they will want to know how that interaction comes back to them. And that is all going to require us. And there's no foreign bridging it. There's no foreign bridging it. So the association, if you think about it, is about you. Okay. I want to help you do your job more effectively. I want to help you help your company, right, to have trusted ethical AI. And I want to arm you as the practitioner with the network, with the day-to-day interactive community, with a marketplace of education services. So you can find all the education that's out there, that's free, that's not free, you name it. You want to take something, you got a one-stop shop, whether it's LinkedIn or Coursera or Microsoft, or, you can find it all here, okay? Because it's geared towards you. Or you can find the jobs, okay? Because not everything's posted on LinkedIn. And when we create a community of hundreds of thousands of us working in these explicit disciplines, you can find those next opportunities a lot easier because these are who you work with and will work with. We're also going to do things like a vendor and third-party marketplace. So think how many of us are spending so much time, even on AI, even now, going, What do I implement? What technology do I choose? What do I need now to govern AI, right? Um, What do I need to do in regards to just internal uh, GPT-chat or generative AI services? There's a million of them now. It's not just a GPT-chat. What do I choose? How does this fit into the rest of my data architecture or my, my, uh, my enterprise architecture? We're gonna produce a marketplace where everything's available for you to find in one store, And you can actually get feedback from your peers around the value or non-value associated to those things. So we'll save you time. But more importantly, I know, I'm going on and on. I'm so excited. You can tell. More importantly, here's the biggest crux. When we create this community and we give voice to us that are in the fields, okay, okay, Back to what's happening on the Hill, right? Just yesterday, all over the Hill, lots of big tech guys coming, sitting at a table, talking about how do we Making regulate? Promises. yep. I know, yep. <laughs> I know.
0: That was, the, that was the headline I read today. It's like they, volu- they, they, they volunteer to do the right thing. Like,
1: Great. They but volunteer here, to
0: commit to do the right thing.
1: Here, here's where we come in, the association. We're the ones who hold the keys to actually doing the right thing because we're the ones who actually do the jobs associated to that thing, okay? And so we're gonna produce and create the first cross-discipline global ethics and policy committee to drive the policy and standards that we agree to align to into the tech companies and into the regulatory bodies, okay? Again, we're the ones on the on the ground. We're the ones doing the implementations. We also know where we can do it and where we can't And we should have a voice in that. So that's the whole point of the association. It's a nonprofit to help you do your job and more impactful, have more career opportunities, and have more of a voice in what's coming in the future.
0: I love it, says the guy who's I love it. says the guy whose mission it is to prolong CDO tenures. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So it seems like you and I should keep talking and continue this T- offline and figure Tally, out ways a, ways to get to get me engaged and others engaged because i can I can tell you that there is an absolutely there's a huge need here. And there, the evidence for are, that need, the the evidence for that need is all over the place. Um, I saw this when I was at Gartner. So yeah. I, was a, I was a Gartner analyst for three years and I love Gartner and it's an amazing company with amazing people, but it tends to be pretty academic. Totally. Right? It's pretty high level. If you want to roll up your sleeves and put a shovel in the ground, Gartner is not the place for you. It's, it's, it's not going to help. It's not going to help a strategic I, thinker be yeah. more operational.
1: That's right. That's it's right.
0: just, it's just not. That's right there are i'm I'm active on LinkedIn, and it is surprisingly good community, yep. but it tends to be a little more operator centric. and even then, how in the world are you going to get the guidance that you need out of you know it's not like Twitter in one hundred and forty characters, but you get my right. point, right? It's like these yeah, little yeah. tiny little little sound bites and maybe there's white papers and maybe there's blogs yep. and it's and it's good, but there's certainly more that 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 can be done there. And then there's industry conferences and and, and what I see, again, is that it, certainly it's either you got to kind of pick your swim lane in the data world, right? Either you pick the strategy swim lane yeah, and you yeah. attend something like the CDOIQ that I just did in Boston, which is a fantastic conference. Don't get me wrong. Amazing conference for right. if, if fantastic stuff that Dr. Wang is doing there. Tends to be a little more on the strategy side, the big thinker th- side, and that's good. But then there's another co- set of conferences for more of the operators or the kind of the people right. who are actually doing the stuff. Right. And that tends to kind of align to the enterprise data worlds and the data versities of the world and IRM over in the UK. And these, again, fantastic stuff, great conferences, but we need to find a way to bring all this stuff together.
1: In the middle, right? So back to the bridge, right? Like I don't, I'm like you. I go to, first of all, these conferences, right? It's always executives that go. You know, you Mm -hmm. can't afford $3,000 or $5,000 entry to send your entire data teams, right? So A, there's a vacuum between those who are working in the strategic areas and those who are on the ground, right? To even understand what's coming, right? Also, the people on the, va- on, on the strategic side often are not operators. Do you know what I mean? Right. So A, they don't know how to translate what they heard or learned or whatever into that. The other thing about those conferences or these forums and events, they, they're dog and pony shows, right? They don't yeah, tell yeah. you the reality of what it takes implement And as you and I know, as we both have kind of served in evangelist types of roles or chief strategy types of roles towards customers, when I sit down with CDOs and CIOs around the world in my role at Tableau, we don't talk the tech. We talk how do we get dedicated funding envelopes from the board because we have so much to do and our our, our, um, our our areas are so large and so complex that we can't hire or we can't basically um, get the technology we need to actually be able to deliver against what we need to do. Nonetheless, deal with 10, 8, 12, whatever business units that all have competing priorities that we have to feed because we're a shared service that's in a servant role, right? Back to these things in order to do that. Or we're talking about the politics of data. It's, it's political as hell. Or you know what I mean? Again, back to the CDOs, right? CDOs are not happy. And CDOs have the, the shortest tenure and, and all the C-suite for a reason. A, they're not happy. B, the companies treat data like a cost center. Often mm-hmm. the CEOs aren't even sitting at the table at the business strategy. And that should be, in my opinion, the first person you set at, this, at the table. Because how do you actually define a strategy if you can't measure a strategy?
0: <laughs> you know I mean, well, like, I mean uh, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How do you do any of that? Right. But but beyond that, you know, you've got just accountability issues around data. OK, where we're in a servant role, but yet we have no authority to actually drive from an influence perspective. Which that need to happen that actually enable things like RPA, uh, you know, RPA or AI to actually work because you need a, a level of quality in your data and a level of consistency of your data to be able to do any of that, okay? And we're not at the table, okay? Um, so it's, it's, it's just, there is a vacuum and there is a need. And I think data people feel like we've been put in the corner. Whether it is the executives or the ICs, because the executives can't help you get that promotion or whatever, because that goes to the business teams who actually got that business strategy to land, even though we did all the data work to enable them to actually be able to operate that. Right. Or, you know, so we, I, this needs to change and I want to change it and I need Every CDO out there, I'm working this almost like a franchise. This isn't about me. This has nothing to do about me. I can go walk into another job making six figures at any point in time, right? I don't want to do that anymore. I I want to help our field in our discipline. I want to help what's coming with these transformations to land in a good way in an ethical way and i want to help as many companies as possible to transform as quickly as possible and to support the people doing the work in these fields as best we can and that requires all of us working together
0: couldn't agree more love it love it more pomp, more fanfare more this is this is you know this is where the <laughs> fires go off uh, couldn't agree more. There's huge demand here, and I think there's so much to be offered by creating a community of data leaders, where there is frank and honest and candid exchange uh, about some of these issues.
1: Yeah. Um, what the I've tactical, seen in the last and tactical, tactical, that's true. Tactical.
0: That too. Yes. Yes. And tact, and tactical when it's needed. Right. Like some, some in our in our community are extremely tactical. Who yeah. can 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 write R and Python and no SQL yeah. statements and know all that stuff. Yeah. They, those folks, from a tactical perspective, they got it right. Yep. Check. But having the conversation with the CFO about business value or about breaking the mode away from being a cost center, to your point, yep. and be, and be, yep. and becoming a profit and loss, becoming yep. a real P and L, like yep. if 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 your if your background is is you know R and Python, you're probably not going to want to have that conversation, or you feel like right. you don't have the tools to right, have right, it, right? right? right. But you yep. can be. I, trust me on this, because you can be taught. Everybody can learn. Everybody can oh, do this.
1: This is the. Bridges. I learned how to. I, bridges a burning.
0: Yes, I, <laughs> I didn't know it. anything <laughs> about engineering, and I and I successfully led an engineering team, and I didn't know anything about it. All I needed was a shot, and I, and I just needed to learn some stuff, and and to yeah, be extremely, yeah, yeah. incredibly, unbelievable and humble. But. I, we, we can do these things. And oh, this is why I'm kind of excited about the association, because I, I, I think a lot of this has to do with learning. A lot of this has to do with information sharing. A lot of this has to do with community and supporting others who are yeah. in similar roles. When I was in Boston a few months ago, I was struck by how many new CDOs there are. I mentioned this on a previous version yeah. of the podcast uh, when I was yeah. talking with uh, Joe Reese recently. There are federal government uh, agencies that are like yeah. mandating the role.
1: Yeah, no, right. it's absolutely, actually, I had several of them, I was the executive sponsor for at Tableau, so I know, I'm right. like, I'm happy to
0: see it, I love it. <laughs> well, and, but, and, and this is, there's a good news, bad news situation here, in that, in that, it's good news, because you're, you're, you are you know, increasing the notoriety and visibility of the role, I think the yep. last survey done by by Randy Bean said that, like, 80% of companies had the CDO role now in some way, yep. shape, or form, which is fantastic, yep. these are all good things, we want more CDOs, Yep. but what we're seeing is a lot of instead of late career right who like people with me like with Early, a lot of way hair, have yeah, been around have
1: any experience. Yeah. <laughs> right
0: right they're more mid career and i love i love the vitality i love the energy and i love i love all of that but when it comes to you know s- s- some of the bruises that, that you and i gained kind of naturally over the years a lot of these folks don't have
1: i know where you were going we need but, to do but, i
0: mean it's 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 it's, it's you know, it, how, how do we help those folks succeed? How do we help them, you know, learn um, what works, what doesn't work? Yeah. I mean, there, there huh? are such things as best practices. Yes, these are novel times that require unique and innovative solutions. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all about breaking away from same old, same old. Trust me on that. But yeah, that's why I love. Like, I love. I love the idea. That I think there's a ma- there's a massive demand for it, and we can certainly be helping each other.
1: There, there, there's the thing about best practices, right? Is that best practices require you to a document, right? But also require you to have situations or um, you know uh, uh, that that are standardized. That, that or that are that are happening over and over that you can create the document against right the reality is that technology is so complex between soft skills about how do you influence right how do you influence change or how do you influence the business or how do you get to that board or how do you how yes. do you actually start to influence like um rpa or ai or even infrastructure strategies right based on where we have data gaps or where we can can actually automate the data to improve operations to move on to that next business layer that we need to kind of focus on to define the processes that need to be um, a, a, a standardized do you do you know what i mean um, yeah. those are things that we can't necessarily document because it's it's so much experience and knowledge share and so back to like the association right There's so many angles between helping the the next generation of leaders to helping the tactical implementers to let's let's get out of the data world. I spent part of my like three years of my time at Salesforce. I reported to the CISO. Okay, I was one of these data leaders. I've been in the space for forever. So you can almost call me a, a first gen leader, but I've always been in cloud and I've always been in software. Okay. And until Salesforce, I was never focused on defense. I was always focused on business value and offense. Always, okay. And so when I came to Salesforce, because they're a trust, their number one value is trust, and because they had never, yep, and because they had never had an enterprise-wide data strategy or governance group I wrote their first policies, okay? <laughs> um, they'd never had that. And so they didn't know where to put something like me okay? or my organization. So they put us with security. And if you think about that, it was, it was weird because um, we're opposite sides. Not uncommon,
0: coin. not uncommon, weird, but not uncommon.
1: <laughs> we're opposite sides. We're two sides of a coin. I want to yeah. help people get as much information as they need to do their jobs. And they're very risk-focused and put data in the closet until all the controls are in. But, but here, here's why it matters with the association. I learned a lot of things there Okay, that, that helped me be more effective as a data leader and, more importantly, helped me be more influential to a board or to the, the, the discipline partners that we work with, the, the audit or the GRCs or the risk groups or whatever, because here's the reality. Cyber teams and security teams cannot do their jobs without us. They have their own infrastructure. They have their own priorities. But here's the difference, okay? If you're doing something like patch, patching, uh, uh, you know, uh, monitoring, right? People should have all their patches deployed within X amount of time so we can ensure availability and scalability and trust, right? Well, to do that, number one, they have to know where those applications are, where that hardware is. But more importantly, what they need is they need to understand the data layers running across those, those applications so they actually can understand where that risk is in regards to that threat okay, or that breach. okay. So understanding that is something that helps the C-cert teams, it helps the threat detection teams, it helps all of them be more focused on where do we actually have risk and where do we need to plug. Most companies, as we probably all know, or in my experience of big tech, it's hard to get the teams who actually own those applications to patch in time based on what you're defining as a standard SLA. Okay, so that's why there's reports out that come out. But this allows you to understand which one of those actually matter. OK, or again, if we had some type of breach, say we have a breach at a company. Well, once we know where that breach is, if you understand the data lineage of how that data flows across other downstream systems and it does out of software products, it doesn't just stay in the product. The businesses who operate that software consume parts of that data in order to debug or, you know, handle your incidents or to understand your journey in the feature use and what they need to do. So there's parts that flow down. We have to understand what potential breaches happened as a part of that. Right. Or what other data they may have had access to in order to do proper C-Cert, okay, um, and, and get back to customers about the potential risk of where that flew, okay? So there's a, there's so many cross dependencies between these fields. It's it's ridiculous. And what tends to happen in the companies, and again, only until um, Salesforce did I ever really know this. It's not like I haven't worked with security teams when I was at Microsoft, et cetera, Ooh. but to get so focused on each one of our priorities and the delivery of our priorities. We don't have those types of conversations. Okay. So back at like Salesforce, for example, you have at big tech companies, it's very complicated when it comes to infrastructure. Okay. At software companies, IT does not own end-to-end infrastructure. Your product organization, and is actually building your products and storing the data for your products you usually operate on a completely different infrastructure stack than your IT groups who are more focused on the run the business teams, right? Just the, the traditional business, uh, you know, finance, sales, marketing, et cetera. And then there's this layer that happens in between where some of that data goes back and forth. So we didn't even have consistent asset list. To actually really know if the if the patching <laughs> had an appropriate list of even who shows up on it, nonetheless the, the data underneath it. So even designing a system that actually gave them that end-to-end mapping ended up coming to my organization to help security because it's all master data management. And it's yeah. all like you know, clearings <laughs> for them to be effective.
0: So, uh, so- I, I- Everything I'm hearing I am I'm, I'm I'm like I'm going back to my days as an IT leader when I was having conversations about okay wait a minute what wait a minute here what do you mean you can't link data out of service now into salesforce mm-hmm. right like you can't you can't understand like this was for a saas a SaaS software company who, yeah. where they could not understand the connection between the literal infrastructure that is that is hosting the SaaS platforms and, and the customers that are riding on that SaaS platform, hard exactly. wall sitting between the two. Same thing was true with network security. You brought this up I was like, okay, wait a minute. What do you mean you don't actually use customer demand patterns? You don't any use any data on, yeah. the, on the sales side of the house or even yep. like sales to, 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 st- to help you predict when there's going to be an intrusion event on the network That's side? Right. What do you mean you don't even use that data? That's right. Like finding a way to break all of these walls. I, I, sign sign me up because there is so much goodness there, and this is where AI comes in. I think. right? This was, it is,
1: so this is why. So back to you again. The point I'm like, I want to start with the data people coming in, just because data is the foundation for security. Security doesn't exist without data. Privacy doesn't exist without data. It's a it's a domain. It's a it's a dimension of data. Right? Ethics is a is a philosophy versus right now an actual discipline. Right? And it, and how do you then implement it? Right. So back to the AI and ethical AI, we need to bring the data practitioners in first because, frankly, there's more of us than so all, all the other pieces. Then we need to create, again, these bridges into these other, uh, other domains because we can make them more effective. We can exactly. make them more – we can bring more value to them and their roles and to their companies all up. And that's going to create that ethical – quality AI experience, trusted experience that people want as well. Again, we're the keys, like these domains are the keys. They, they hold the keys to those things. And we have to work together. from person coming out of college, in college, their first job up to the C-suites in these roles. We have to come together and start having these types of conversations so that we make sure we put the right controls, the right processes in that actually lead to the outcome that we need for generations to come. Okay. And faster. Why do it alone as a company? Why figure this out one by one by one? Do you know now, how? I now this? you're
0: talking my language again. It's, <laughs> it's, you're, you're totally speaking my language. I talk a lot. I did. I did this when I was a gardener. I talk a lot about the the concept of data sharing. Yes. Now, I'll give you a I'll give you a concrete example back to my days of, of running an IT shop. Yeah. In in the world of network security and, and, and intrusion detection and trying to understand when when there's when the bad guys are at the door. Right. Yep. Companies are sharing. They are sharing the footprints of these hacks. They sh- they yep. share all of this information. This is what this hack looks like. This is what this pattern looks like. Right. So that everybody can be better at keeping the, the bad guys okay. away. Okay. Right. That's one example. Why are we doing that on more, shall we say, mundane
1: we, use cases? We should. Cases, right? Right? We should. Like if
0: I can Google I- Acme Incorporated, and that's commodity data, like the, the Acme, the, like that's commodity data. If i can get it out of Google, it's not a competitive advantage to me. Why are we hoarding that data, and not 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 sharing?
1: We, we we should. So back back to back. So hey, I'm 100 on on page with you. In fact, I wrote a blog. i have been writing a blog, trying to share like my journey from a a, a history major to a C-suite at tech companies and being focused on tech for so long and how I did that, right? And one of the things I gave as an example, and it's why I started thinking about the association in regards to not the mentoring or community need, which we know we all need, but the ability to actually truly drive um, regulation and shares around ethical AI was because I spent my first 10 years in telecom. And for those that don't know this, telecom cannot operate independently. When you're using your cell phone to call someone across the U.S., it's hopping networks, even though you might be on AT&T or you might be or whatever. And so they have a whole forum. And I used to be a part of this and I used to support their systems in the 90s who basically defines Um, Access carrier uh, processes, provisioning, the technology, when they're talking 5G, soon 6G, 7G, whatever, they all have to agree to it and actually align to what that means, and they have to agree to how they exchange some of the information and the billing around these things or the access to these things, because they can't operate by themselves, okay? We can do this. The only reason it hasn't happened is because no one has focused on doing this. OK, again, and, and lawyers. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's focus things like think, again, that the International Association of Privacy Attorneys. They've got they've got. 55, no,
0: I, I, I meant every time in the past when I've when when I've been in a position of like evaluating, hey, maybe we should be sharing our data with with, you know, Valued member of our supply chain A or valued customer B because there's economies yeah. of scale. Lawyers are like no, no.
1: So this that's, is why that's what meant by lawyers. Yeah, this is why we need the privacy folks in, right? Because yes. think of it this way. And I know we're getting close on time, but think of it we this are. way. Even when it comes to bias, okay. Why can't we have a nonprofit of professionals who actually do something like, um, uh, I forgot what they're called, you know, with the third parties that serve uh, data that's available for, uh, for a lot of people. Um, I can't think of the technical term, but why can't we create a store of, of data that is non non-biased that people can bring in and you can subscribe to it to basically help bias scenarios and it's dummy data. OK, so it doesn't have to be real, real, real data, but we can do male, female, you know, anything on uh, you know, the, the LGBTQ, you know, type of we can do different races. We can do different types of we can create that and we yes, can bring because, that into our models as we are working on these things to solve the bias problems. And we can do it yes. in a way that is not privacy oriented. OK, and we should do this because no one else is going to.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So, aside, I mean, this is this is how this is largely how cookies came into <laughs> existence. Is is that there was a need early on um, within the online advertising world to create these anonymized and aggregated yeah. data sets to allow yeah. marketers to understand exactly. what their users kind of looked like, and there were there uh, there were supposed to be non-bias, you know, uh, uh, aggregators and providers of yeah. this data, and they they still largely exist, but. The answer to your question is rhetorical. Yes, we can be doing these things when we right. act There's together. There's lots of
1: North Stars who have done lots of things on these things that we yes. can follow. But it needs to be we. Again, the tech companies, it does not behoove their models to right. do that. But the people in the fields. We need to do this. So, yes, and by
0: we, we <laughs> meaning peer to peer, I mean among yes. a, a peer community, because there are corporate entities that do this. Arguably, my ex employer, Dun in Bradstreet, kind of does this. They create standards and then they sell yeah. them for a margin yeah, yeah, that, 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 is not, that, that is not cheap. Yeah, and I don't, yeah. I don't bemoan them the margin, but we can be doing this on a more peer to peer basis. I firmly believe it, it,
1: right? So, bring it yes. down, bring the others, figure out the gaps. Then yep. we create the gaps, but we have to do this as a peer-to-peer association of practitioners, for practitioners, by practitioners in those fields, those deba- those disciplines. Have to, have to, have, it. to. have to. There it is no
0: better place <laughs> to stop this fantastic conversation that I think could go on well into the evening here if we let it, but... <laughs> Uh, that's that's a great way to, w- to end, Wendy. I'm I'm excited about the things you're doing. I'm Thank looking forward know. to learning more through LinkedIn. Um what's Maybe, what's your URL? You're
1: gonna have It is the uh, the association uh, 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 dash AI or wait, no, the association.ai. The association
0: Okay, so yeah. you're in the AI yeah. domain. I think. Yeah, AI
1: a- domain in all one okay. word the association. Association.ai yeah, we're in process of moving to our next version of this. So don't look at it till like next week. We're about to go live right with on. our MP, but it's out there. Keep an eye out. And Malcolm, we're gonna get more right time because I need to get you involved.
0: So awesome. Thank you so much, Wendy. And to our yeah. listeners, to our subscribers, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the CDO Matters podcast. I hope to see you on another episode very soon. Thanks, Wendy. See thank you. Everybody. you. Bye.
1: Malcolm. Yeah. Bye. See you.